Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. KFI AM uh, 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bill Handel here on a uh, Friday morning, February 10th. Uh, the death toll in Turkey, um, wow, it's over 22,000, and it's going to get far worse. And I, I, just looking at uh, the video, looking at those photos is just beyond comprehension. Uh, and former Vice President Mike Pence has been subpoenaed uh, in uh, front of uh, the special counsel uh, investigating uh, President Trump's efforts to stay in office. So uh, that story is going to pan out big time. Uh, the uh, story about the Orange County public defender, Elliot Blair, who uh, died or was killed in uh, Mexico, Rosarito Beach, uh, is is getting weirder by the moment. Uh, we talked about how basically squirrely it gets. No surprise, because this is Mexico. And a couple things about Mexico are a given. Uh, and not only, uh, it would be surprised if it went the other way. So uh, let me go through a little bit. Um, he and his wife, who also happens to be a public uh, defender, uh, are at this uh, resort, Rosarita Beach. He's found dead at the uh, bottom of, uh, on the concrete, uh, the pavement, uh, several stories uh, below this walkway, uh, open walkway that uh, his room was adjacent to. So uh, he is, we're getting more information. He was found in his underwear, a sleeping T-shirt, socks, and uh, the Mexican authorities uh, instantly said that his death was a result of an accidental fall. Uh, the Blair family has insisted literally from the beginning it was, in fact, a brutal crime. And uh, there has been, obviously, a conflict between the two. And uh, I, I tell you, I tend to uh, believe the uh, family. And uh, normally, I would uh, hold off all judgment. I got to tell you, this is Mexico. So uh, she, in the uh, first public interview, uh, shared some details and said someone did this to him. She and Blair were driving back to the resort from a local restaurant, and they were stopped by the cops. And here is uh, a hot Mexico. Uh, stopped by the police, said the couple was rolling through a stop sign, and then demanded money. I mean, that's pretty blatant. Whenever I've been in Mexico, uh, we just talk about a fine if you want to pay it right there. Outright demanded money. Uh, Blair, fluent in Spanish, explained they didn't have the money the cops asked for, 160 bucks. They didn't have that much. Cops took the money, all of it, and asked, where are you staying? All right, so the couple go back to the hotel. Uh, they um, go to the lobby bar. They have dinner. They go upstairs, uh, they go to bed, he takes a shower, she falls asleep, and then she's woken by a security guard and the hotel manager saying, is that your boyfriend down there? Down where? Pointing to the ground, and there he is. Now, I'll tell you where the controversy is, the autopsy. Because of the way he died, clearly an autopsy had to be performed, so it was done by the Mexican authorities. Who said that it was an accident? Who said that it looked like he died from a fall? Who said that there were 40 fractures of his skull indicating that's not just a fall? And then turned around and said, no, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Uh, that was just done, uh, it was then either mistakenly or they overlooked something, but don't believe that. Uh, although sort of hidden in the autopsy was an indication that he had been dragged or could have been dragged. 
Well, they bring his body up, uh, and uh, the family provi- uh, produces its own uh, its own pathologist to do an autop- autopsy, which of course would happen. It's a normal course of business, and then we're told by the American pathologist forty fractures of the skull, not consistent with just falling, and contusion and bruise marks. Uh, that indicate he was dragged. Even though that information appeared on the Mexican pathology report, it was sort of just a, a throwaway, uh, just one line. It was, nothing was paid attention to. It is a big deal that they didn't pay attention to that in Mexico. So now uh, we have a situation where two conflicting reports, what's going to happen? Well, try suing someone in Mexico see what happens and see what the authorities are going to do the cops took a bribe oh no 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 our police officers don't take a bribe i once did a story and i went to tijuana for the radio station and i was driven around by a police officer and i said uh hey you know will you stop people do you take money from them no absolutely not we would never do that and I said, I've been forced to give money a couple of times when I went down there. I was crazy. But that was in my younger days when, uh, you know, we did that. We were nuts. We used to jump off of buildings, too, and pretend we're flying. I mean, we did some crazy stuff when we were younger. And, uh, no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So you're going to get such a conflicting story from uh, the Mexican authorities and the State Department. Uh, just as a sidelight, uh, we reported this in the news. Stay the hell away from Mexico. Do yourself a favor, especially certain areas. Now, there are certain areas that are reasonably safe. I never thought that Rosarita Beach, which is a resort that Americans go to all the time, uh, would be this dangerous. Is this aberrational? I don't know. I wouldn't go there anymore. Not even a little bit. We have been, I've been talking about uh, the education issue, and that was uh, during the pandemic. That was one of the big, big issues. Matter of fact, it was probably number two uh, in uh, in the concern of what's happening. First of all, of course, was the uh, medical uh, aspect of it. Yeah, it's COVID is uh, dangerous. It's not. It's real. It's a hoax. Vaccinations, non-vaccinations. I mean, that went on and on. Subsequent to that, or as a matter of fact, um, I would say uh, in connection with and uh, adjacent to that argument was the school argument. When do kids go back to school? And then there was an issue, are kids um, uh, more apt to be infected? Do they, uh, uh, does, the, does COVID last longer? Is it as dangerous with kids? I mean, that was all up in the air. Should schools open up? And some did. Some school district opened with social distancing and the plastic between, uh, plastic sheets between uh, the uh, desks. And you had the masks, et cetera. So there was all manner of uh, different ways of teaching, staying home. And then you had this huge issue of uh, online learning. And a couple things we have uh, found out is uh, that kids uh, didn't go to school quickly enough. In other words, those people who I said were wrong, who were fighting to move the kids back into the classroom as quickly as possible, and my position is, oh, no, 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 there's a health issue here. You were right. I was wrong. Kids stayed out of school too long. And we're now, well, it's no surprise, finding out how much education they lost, how far behind kids have become in terms of their schooling, strictly as a result of staying out of class. And so now uh, research is looking at it. They're trying to figure out uh, what's going on in the numbers. And uh, it's in the hundreds of thousands. You know, they look at uh, the uh, the testing that's going on, the number of hours, the online learning, who had high-speed internet. I mean, just went on and on. But I'll tell you what's going on, too. 152,000 school-age kids in California are lost. No idea where they were. They lost 152,000 kids. Wow. Now, California's uh, previously reported enrollment declines. Uh, matter of fact, more than 110,000 last year, 160,000 the previous year. 
uh, and a lot of it uh, because families didn't want to put put their kids in kindergarten earlier uh, ages, and uh, because obviously they couldn't initially. And so now the numbers are coming out. Research is happening, and they're trying to figure out uh, in homeschooling, private school enrollment, et cetera. And there's 152,000 kids that are somewhere out there. They can't figure it out. Now they're saying uh, there's some uh, some homeschool enrollment. We should be able to figure out how many uh, population loss. We should be able to figure out already. You know what? And they're saying, yeah, we can figure out about a fourth of the decline is based on those two factors. How about the rest of it? We don't know where they went. We have no idea. Now, all campuses were open by the fall of 2021-2022 academic year. But enrollment in 2019-2020-2021, this is when uh, enrollment almost disappeared. You figure those kids would come back. Most did, or some did. Or how about half did? Now, the school-age population in our state dropped about 96,000. The number of homeschoolers increased by 14,000. I'm going to throw some figures at you. Private school increased only by 9,500. All right, add all that together, and you got 119,000 students. Okay? Out of a total decline of 271,000, leaving 152,000 students, they don't know where they are. They have no idea. Totally unaccounted for. And they're trying to figure out, okay, people moved out of state. Uh, they're now homeschooled. And maybe those numbers have been put together. Comparing them, uh, you've got people that uh, simply are not interested in their kids even going to kindergarten because this is part of kindergarten, which is kind of dumb for those people. However, who the hell knows? So, as you can imagine, school authorities and the state of California is scrambling to look for 152,000 kids. So, there is now a giant scavenger hunt going on. Every Friday night, you look for a kid under a rock or behind a bush, and if you find a kid, you get a point. And school officials are scrambling to do that. Uh, But I got to tell you, here's their fear as they figure this out. How many students just stopped going to school? How many were in unregistered homeschooling situations? Because if you're homeschooled, you have to register register that with the state. And you have to prove that your child got the basic core curriculum, reading, writing, arithmetic. And you can have all the religion stuff you want, but at least the core has to be taught and you have to prove it. Affidavits have to be signed. You have to get that information to the state. And guess what? Uh, no. And during kindergarten, a lot of people just pull their kids out because uh, when you talk about at-home learning, internet learning, yeah, I tell you, kids don't do well with that. They need to be around, uh, they have to be in the classroom. They have to be yelled at at the teacher. They have to be told, stop talking. Johnny, don't pick your nose. I got a lot of that when I was uh, in first grade, I might add. Let's see what happens to 152,000 kids. All right. Now, I want to move over to what's going on with uh, abortion. But it's not abortion good or bad. It's not abortion fundamental right. None of that. This is just one of the sidebar stories. There's a case in front of a federal judge in Texas uh, that could literally take out uh, the abortion pill, the most common abortion pill, uh, and it's uh, mefesperistone always bad at at, uh, pronouncing this. We're expecting a decision. And what it will do is, uh, now the judge can't say you can't use it. The judge can say that he is reversing the FDA's approval based on the fact that, um, and here's the argument by a very conservative group who filed the lawsuit, that the FDA used politics more than science to determine that this drug was legal and safe. That's all they were interested in. Does the judge have the authority to say that? Yeah. Yeah. And even though the FDA said this is perfectly safe, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology said this is perfectly safe. Uh, The American Medical Association says it's perfectly safe. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services said this is perfectly safe. 
what this group is doing and uh, those people that want to ban this drug, uh, they're saying all of that is crap. We'll tell you, and we don't even have to come up with our medical uh, proof. All we have to do is prove that this was all political. That's all it was. And which way is the judge going to go? I'm willing to bet that he's going to go with the group and say the FBA's approval was more political and not based on science. That's how crazy it is out there. That's my guess. I may be wrong. Then it goes to the Fifth Circuit, of course, going to be appealed. Fifth Circuit is probably the most conservative circuit out there. What do you do with that? Well, maybe you take it to uh, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, the most conservative Supreme Court we've ever had. And so this is a spin they've gone in their way. Now, Roe v. Wade, it used to be that you could argue all these drugs uh, were safe, unsafe, as long as the FDA approved them. There was no issue. And why? Because abortion was a constitutional right. That's all gone. Now, the holes can be driven through with a truck. One of the holes being, let's argue the FDA didn't use real medicine. That the FDA was political or enough of a political decision that the judge says, okay, you can start reevaluating based on a non-political issue. I mean, how nuts is that? Uh, it is that nuts. Now, is there an end around? Yeah, these are two drugs that are used. Uh, one is mefestristone, which is uh, the drug itself that's in question. And then there's another one that's used in combination, and that is... Uh, not effective by itself, but it will be allowed. And so we're just looking at uh, this one drug. And we're not talking about uh, in-clinic. Uh, in-clinic, I think, is still going to be able to be used because the lawsuit is arguing mail order, uh, going to another state, for example, to get the drug, uh, bringing it into the state. I mean, it, we're, they're arguing everything they can, throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks, which is typical. But I want to see what this federal judge says, uh, that the FDA doesn't know what it's talking about, that the, the judge will decide whether it's political or not. Seriously? Well, real science doesn't count anymore. It just doesn't. Real medicine doesn't count anymore. The FDA, if they approve a drug that you have a problem with, particularly uh, in this case, the abortion pill, uh, it's a political decision. You can't have politics involved in okaying drugs. Welcome to modern-day America. Don't you love it? Well, I want to share a story with you, uh, sort of a good story, about what happens after the Super Bowl. First of all, let's start with, uh, I want to tell you a story about uh, my uh, girls' uh, bat mitzvah when they were uh, 13 years old. And uh, we catered. Uh, the uh, dinner, of course, uh, was, uh, I couldn't charge people for the food. It just isn't done. So, uh, it was uh, a buffet, a, a part of it. And I was talking to the lady, the catering lady, uh, about how much food is left because here it was towards the end of, uh, as, as the last of, and I remember veal cutlets or something, uh, were done the last three or four pieces. She fills it up again. I go, but wait a minute. People aren't going to use half a dozen. Why wouldn't you, you know, leave? Uh, why would you leave all the food? He goes, that, well, she said, that's what we do. You can't have uh, a dinner where, uh, you know, there's only two pieces left in, a, uh, in one of those chafing dishes. And I said, what do you do with all the food? How much of this is left? Tons of it. I go, so, of course, you send it to a food bank or a local shelter. She goes, no, I can't. I go, what do you mean you can't? The health department won't let me do it. The law doesn't let me do it. So what do you do? We throw it away. Unbelievable amounts of food are thrown away. And so let me tell you what's going at the Super Bowl. What's going on? Can you imagine how much food is left? I mean, just insane amounts of food. Because first of all, they overstock the food. Second of all, you got tailgate parties. I mean, you go to Glendale, Arizona, there is one tailgate party they have there, and it's only going to cost you a spiffy $875 per person. And if you want to take your kid, it's $499. And it is insane in terms of the food that is offered there, as you can imagine. People watch it during the game. It's a party before, party after with just crazy amounts of food, like all you can eat because you've paid so much money. 
And uh, they have to overstock it because far better to have more than, than have less and run out. What do they do with the food? Well, Arizona is a little bit different than it, uh, uh, than it is here in California. As you can imagine, California, as far as the states are concerned, is the most restrictive. Oh, here's a shocker. You wouldn't believe this. Is the most restrictive state in terms of what you can do with used food. And so what happens is uh, Super Bowl, when it can, uh, the nonprofits come in and they basically take over. What the food vendors do is just hand the food over to the nonprofits. Now, the condiments are easy. Unused bottles of mustard and ketchup and all of that is easy. Uh, also, frozen goods are fairly easy. Why? Because these nonprofits, I mean, these organizations, and they don't, they don't give the food out themselves. They, they're delivery systems. They're distributors. They pick up the food. They have refrigerated trucks, then deliver the food to food banks at shelters. And when you're talking about the Super Bowl, uh, it's on a level that very few other single events uh, are or or. Uh, other single events can produce. Okay, what is uh, the best food that's wanted the most? Seafood and meats. High quality protein, which of course are the most wanted, the most difficult to get, certainly the most expensive food, so most food banks can't touch that stuff. And here... You have food, you have hot dogs that have not been cooked yet that are sitting in refrigerated cases. Uh, You've got, uh, let's say you're having uh, beef sandwiches or whatever, so they have just tons of this stuff left over ready to go. And so if you put it in refrigerated trucks, you're meeting the health standards. Deliver it to food banks, deliver it to shelters. It goes into refrigerators and freezers, and they make do. You know, for example, ice cream. You know, ice cream melts. Do they still deliver ice cream? They certainly do, as long as it's safe. If it's all melted, what do you do with melted ice cream? You make milkshakes out of it. That's what you do with melted ice cream. So the event, this event, the Super Bowl, expected to generate hundreds of millions of dollars, not only money for charity because there's a huge thing, uh, and for, of course, the city, but also for, for example, the Phoenix Rescue Mission, hoping that uh, that one-day event will be, uh, yeah, it, it becomes a spectacular one-day event. The problem with food is it runs out very quickly. And while this is happening, food insecurity in America, right, uh, it's, it's not good, particularly since there have been a lot of cuts uh, in federal programs. All of the stimulus money is gone. So food insecurity defined in America, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Feeding America, one of the largest food banks out there, 200 food banks, uh, they um, operate across the country. They estimate that 34 million people in the U.S. are food insecure. They really don't know where that last meal of the month is coming from. I mean, they're going to eat. People are going to eat, but it's going to be pasta. It's going to be rice. It's not going to be protein. Uh, it's it's a very tough way to live. And so at least we're moving in that direction. And I'll tell you what I would like. And I've had, I've had friends who have restaurants who cater. I would love, even though, I mean, I understand the food has to be safe. I understand it has to be kept at certain temperature. Cold foods have to be kept below a certain temperature. Hot foods have to be kept above a certain temperature. You can't leave foods out for more than two, three hours. Let me ask you a question. Theoretically, you can't leave food out for more than two hours. Every Thanksgiving, do you grab a turkey, uh, some turkey after two hours? Or a piece of meat? Or a roast, you go back? Of course you do. So I don't know. But um, it's good news. The balloon. The Chinese surveillance and or weather balloon, depending on uh, who you believe. And a couple of questions uh, that have come up that look like they're being answered. Uh, One is, what type of balloon? And number two, uh, why, what are one of the chow main reasons? 
All right. Uh, one of the uh, main reasons uh, why we didn't shoot down the balloon, because there's been a lot of controversy and there are hearings going on. I mean, they literally established congressional hearings, I mean, within a week. I mean, do you ever see that as to why the balloon was not shot down as it entered U.S. airspace uh, in Alaska and then came down over a little bit of uh, Canada before entering the Montana and then going south uh, east? Uh, all the way to the Carolinas, uh, overflying some uh, sensitive nuclear facilities. And the order to shoot it down was when it was uh, in still uh, U.S. waters outside the coast of or off uh, the coast of uh, North Carolina. And, uh, of course, the controversy was crazy. First of all, we're determining, and that's no surprise, of course it was a surveillance spy balloon. I mean, the Chinese saying it was a, a... the weather balloon is just ludicrous on its face. Uh, now, to what extent? We don't know. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Blech. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Uh, how sophisticated? We don't know. All we do know is it definitely was surveillance. We know a couple things about it. It wasn't a question of taking photos. It was a question of uh, grabbing communications across the country. Could actually, uh, for example, the NSA. The NSA has the ability and does uh, record every cell phone conversation in the United States 24 hours a day. And then they have algorithms that pull statements out. It looks like the Chinese, uh, the surveillance balloons could have done that. They don't know. Uh, all they know is was pretty sophisticated stuff. Now they're trying to find it because that payload, I mean, they've gotten a little bit of information. They took it to Quantico, Virginia, the FBI lab. It's never seen anything like this before. And, uh, they're way looking for that big payload, you know, the three bus size payload where all the electronics actually are to find out what it was. So that we're going to get some information. The other side of it is why didn't it shoot it down? The senators were going nuts. Senator McCurskey of Alaska is going out of her mind. How dare you not shoot it down? And so at this point, the State Department and uh, you've got the Pentagon saying, here are the reasons. This is what you heard at the hearings. Number one, you shoot it down over Alaska. You're in the cold waters uh, that are thousands of feet deep. Once it's in the water, we're done. We'll never see it again. Off the coast of South Carolina, shallow waters, uh, and you you have a shot at getting the payload, and they think they're going to. Also, the communications equipment, as far as the Pentagon Department of Defense was concerned, it really isn't any more sophisticated than they already have. It was just a question of getting the information, and they said, we knew what was going on. And we made sure, and I don't know how they did this, that they were able to, quote, harden those facilities so that information would not be gotten, uh, would not be able to uh, be retrieved. Don't know the technology of that. They're not really sharing that. But the Pentagon, if you believe the Pentagon, said we knew it was happening and we made sure that we protected ourselves from happening. And then you have the political issue of this. And uh, that is... If it goes right over airspace in Alaska, as soon as it hits, uh, oh, mistake, what are you doing? You're shooting down our balloon. How dare you do that? It was a balloon that just went off course. It was a weather balloon. Uh, And we're finding out that this is not the first one. China has uh, used these balloons uh, over 40 countries to get information. They have fleets of these. And we're getting from sources that uh, President Xi doesn't even know that they're out there. And the head of the Communist Party doesn't even know that they're out there. We assume they do. 
But, you know, China has uh, 1.3 billion people. There's a lot of stuff going on. Is this something at the level that a the president of China would order? Well, certainly the president of the United States ordered it shot down. So we're finding bits and pieces, and this story is going to pan out. And certainly by Monday, I'll uh, have more information. As uh, we looked at uh, the earthquake, and of course the reports came in literally minutes after it happened, because that's the way it works today in today's uh, communication systems. Um, the first thing that came to mind, and I think uh, I certainly wasn't alone, and that is, uh, thank goodness I'm here in Southern California, because if a 7.8 uh, earthquake hit us, it would, it would look nothing like that. As a matter of fact, uh, we would probably do pretty good. Now, let me tell you what structural engineers are saying when they took a look and said, wow, you know, that is definitely a consequence of something called non-ductile concrete construction, which we have all over the place here in Southern California and all over the United States. And so what they're saying is the risk factor here on an earthquake that big is not just we know there's going to be plenty of property damage, but there's not going to be a huge number of lost lives. Because if you look at the lost lives that have occurred through the major earthquakes, the Silmar quake, uh, the uh, Northridge quake, uh, the Whittier quake, I mean, the number of lives lost relatively small. Now, the Silmar quake, when they had that pancaking building in the San Fernando Valley, and I think 35 or 38 people died. It was that very badly built little uh, apartment building. Uh, those aren't built anymore, so we're in good shape, right? Uh, no, not necessarily. And here's why. Uh, there are uh, two kinds of buildings uh, that are particularly dangerous. One, it, brick buildings, unreinforced bricks, down they go. Big Bad Wolf, all of that, done. Also, uh, non-ductile concrete buildings, buildings that don't have enough rebar in them. Now, buildings do have rebar. I mean, there are very few just pure concrete walls that are up there buildings. I mean, some very old ones, but I'm assuming they've been retrofitted already because they're so dangerous. But clearly, the way the rebar is designed, rebar being uh, that, that metal, uh, those metal pipes or rods uh, that you see that they pour the concrete around, particularly in columns, uh, they not only provide structure, they also keep the concrete together. And uh, it is uh, because of the concrete itself, which is pretty good, and the design of the rebar which doesn't look to be strong enough in many, many, many buildings. Modern buildings, you're probably okay. In older buildings, they simply have to be retrofitted. And we're not doing that fast enough. The problem is retrofitting every building. Orange County, pretty good shape because the buildings are far newer in Orange County. L.A., a lot older and uh, therefore a lot more dangerous. And we've got buildings of several stories high uh, that, well, if they go down, they go down. There's a U.S. Geological Survey. It's a simulation they just did uh, about a 7.8%. Uh, well, they just said it was plausible because it was a model uh, that a 7.8 earthquake in Southern California could cause enough non-ductile or non-ductile concrete buildings to either fully or partly collapse and we're looking at 7,500 people dying. Now, it's not going to be in the tens of thousands because when you go to Turkey, you go to those parts of the world, uh, two things happen. One, first of all, you get a lot more earthquakes. I mean, Turkey seems to be ground central in the world for earthquakes. And two, uh, they don't have building codes. It just doesn't exist. It is expensive to uh, put in uh, those, uh, those rebars and the design uh, and the structural engineering is expensive, and people just put up their own homes. Although, you look at four- and five-story buildings. There was an 18-story building that went down. I saw the video. I mean, it just – and it's rubble now. It's not a question of you know, holes in there and uh, parts uh, where the rubble uh, or where the concrete causes, like, tunnels and little pockets. No, this is just rubble. I mean, no one is going to survive that. And it's 18 stories of apartment buildings where everybody was asleep. 
Now, I'm assuming that was uh, built according to standards. Clearly not enough. I don't think you're going to see that happen in a 7.8 Richter scale magnitude earthquake. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I do remember when building the Persian Palace, all I talked about was earthquake. Spent a lot of time talking to the structural engineer about earthquake and how much rebar was going to go in and simply the way uh, the house was built. Wooden buildings do pretty well because they have a lot of flexibility. And so this kind of concrete, the the ductile concrete with enough rebar in it, more than what we're currently using, actually, and then the retrofit has to happen. There is no question. I've told you about the, the home that I had before uh, the Persian Palace. It was a 1927 duplex. Had to reinforce it completely. In a, in a major earthquake, this thing would have not necessarily come down because it survived all the other earthquakes. But uh, the building code, and there was a building code when it was built. Can you imagine this? The, the house wasn't even attached to the foundation. It literally just sat on the foundation because houses tend to be a little heavy. So they don't go sliding off foundations, except in an earthquake, you know what they do? They slide off foundations. And so we had to bolt it down. uh, And I'm talking about bolts that are, you know, 10 inches high, inch and a half thick, you know, drilled into the concrete. So uh, it's, it's a big deal. But you're looking at retrofitting and it's very, very expensive to retrofit. So what do they do? Well, they have to bring walls up next to the walls uh, or uh, put up uh, a frame, uh, a metal frame, and then somehow cover that up. Or in, in, in cases that it is impossible to do that, the building has to come down. So when we look at Turkey and you say, oh, that's never going to happen here, I got to tell you, we've never actually tested in real life a 7.8 uh, earthquake uh, last time that happened was uh, back in 1906 with San Francisco. Have you seen those pictures? There was nothing left of San Francisco. But then again, there weren't any building codes there. It is Foodie Friday with Neil Saavedra, our Fork Reporter. He is heard tomorrow, 2 to 5 p.m., and his social address is at Fork Reporter. Neil, morning, uh, the Friday before the Super Bowl. Hey, buddy. Hey, Okay, uh, a couple things about snacks, uh, and we do this every year, and then I also ask you, well, what can we do differently, because you come up with all this clever stuff. So I have a question to ask you. Mm-hmm. First of all, uh, have there been any major diseases this year where chickens are born without wings? No. There have been diseases where they're sick, but not that they come out without wings. Okay, so, you know, so no defective uh, chickens. Uh, not that I'm aware. Wingless chickens? Yes. No. No. Not that I'm aware. That. As a matter of fact, this year, by about 30%, chicken wings are cheaper. All right, so how about this? Have they developed uh, any kind of medication and or scientific endeavor where uh, chickens are born with four wings? No. That would be, they'd look like, you start putting four, six wings on these birds, and they're going to look like the the descriptions of the seraphim in scripture. Yeah. Wings on their toes and now, ears. Yeah, and, and if that were the case, of course, wings would be a lot cheaper than 30% off last year. Uh, but uh, traditional snacks, okay, let's go through that. Uh, the price and the big ones are wings. Uh, buffalo wings, et cetera, which I've never understood because uh, buffalo doesn't have, don't have wings and buffalo avocado. Buffalo is the flavoring, you uh, nut. Okay, thank you. And uh, avocados. Yeah, uh, so avocados are down this year as well. Pizza, avocados for guacamole, of course, wings. Keep in mind that those prices that I'm telling you about and the dips are whole wings. Whole wings are three different parts at most. And two at least. So you have the drumette, you have the flat, and you have the tip. Some people leave the tip on the flat. Some people take them off and use them for other things like making stock. But those are the the main things. Those are down, and those are going to be making people happy. If you're thinking about what kind of ratios, and this is kind of a getting into a catering mindset, instead of just buying a ton of food and hoping it goes away, during the entire process of the game, you want to kind of break things down into how people will be using them. The 
basic tip is for alcohol, two drinks for every person that's drinking for the first hour, and then one drink per hour for everybody who drinks after that. Yeah, who, like, which friends do you have that only drink that little? Well, that's not little, really, but you, and sure, you're going to get some that drink a little bit more, but you're going to also get some that are going to drink a little bit less. It does matter. There are differences in beers versus wine versus actual cocktails, and maybe some people are pulling putting out cocktails, but on average, if somebody's going to do that, they might do something in batching like uh, margaritas or something. And that's one thing. Maybe somebody might go a little hardcore and pre-mix some old fashions, but that's going to be pretty rare. And it's going to be a little more of a sophisticated group. When you're coming to chicken wings, the drumettes and the like, anticipate between eight and 10 per person, depending on how much other food you have. All right. How many times have, uh, or do people in general, when the chicken wings come out and you have those, the tips of the wings and uh, you start biting into it and someone goes, boy, that's meaty. That doesn't happen very often, does it? That's why a lot of people cut the tips off and use them for stock. And that way you get the flat and then you get the drumette, which has enough meat for them to be oh i like drumette whenever i yeah, go if edible. i if i'm getting a snack thing so i can eat and it's uh you know go to ralph's or bonds or whatever and they have uh, the pre the prepared foods yeah. uh both sriracha as well as standard uh i get the uh chicken wings except i always ask for the drumettes and how many drumettes do you get for a serving for just yourself uh, 40 50 but uh that's only when i'm hungry uh, you're cutting down out <laughs> of you I am proud of you. All right. So yeah, the other so, thing, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. So oh, keeping in mind, if you're going to have pizza, it's not so much when you say, oh man, that's a lot, that that's a little to drink. You've got to incorporate everything else. It's like somebody who, who says, I'll be there in 10 minutes and, because it's 10 miles away or something and doesn't count other traffic, doesn't count traffic lights. So you've got to kind of gather everything if there's going to be pizza if there's going to be a charcuterie board if there's going to be other appetizers both cold and warm is there going to be a buffet all these things are going to yeah. take into account and an average so you have to assume that hot is going to get cold cold is going to get hot yeah and everything's going to be at room temperature and the other thing before we take a break and go into uh, mushroom madness is um uh, the guacamole, I've always wondered about that because within 20 minutes, half an hour, you have brown guacamole. Yes, yeah, so it get, it oxidizes just like an apple or anything right. else. It will oxidize and it'll turn brown. When you're holding it in the fridge, it's easy enough. It's not pretty, but it's easy enough. You can go ahead when you're going to put it in the fridge, if you make it ahead, get plastic wrap, put it over it, and push it into the guacamole. Push it in so there's no air. It'll stay green. You pull it off. That's why people think that the seed is magic. They're all, look, you pull up the seed. Right. There's not, It's green underneath because the seed is blocking the oxygen. You can also put water on it. It looks a little gross. But then you dump it and stir it. But when it's out, what you want to do is you want to add a, a little bit of the lime on top or a tiny bit of olive oil and it will keep it from getting green because the olive oil coats it and keeps it from getting that oxygen. Let's move away from the Super Bowl uh, because we always do the same. Well, not the same, but we always uh, cover it. Uh, but uh, let's get into something called mushroom madness. What is going on with that? Well, to differentiate from your college years, it's important to know that mushrooms can be eaten as food as oh, well. All right, interesting. Strangely enough, mushrooms are coming into their own for a couple different reasons. All joking aside, there what is... What joking aside? All joking aside, there there are studies going on now for benefits from what are referred to as magic mushrooms. So not just for consuming. They, there are studies now that see it helping with PTSD, also general anxiety disorders, so there are studies with that, and they're really moving forward quickly and with great response. It's called microdosing in most cases, but that's a whole different thing. Here in Los Angeles and the Southland, we're going through a massive mushroom boom naturally. 
So you're finding more of them popping up. I'm seeing more varieties pop up here just at home, in the grass, in the backyard, and you might be finding that on your hikes as well. Now, you need to know what you're doing because foraging is very big here in the Southland. And prior to the pandemic, it was growing. During the pandemic, many people went out and foraged because you're outside and you're learning about plants. But we are having a massive mm. boom right now. So there's a lot of different kinds and you have to look and understand. Right. You need an expert, though. Yeah, two things. Number one, uh, there's also, uh, when you go out foraging for mushrooms, that's combined with foraging for cemetery plots. Uh, that's one thing. If you eat them <laughs> without knowing, yes. Okay. And the other thing is uh, the last spelling bee. I don't know if you mentioned that, if you knew that, is uh, one of the finalists misspelled mushrooms starting with an M-U as opposed to an S-H. Uh, and uh, he didn't quite know it's shrooms and not mushrooms. Uh, but- so what do you do when you're an expert? I mean, literally, do you go out with an expert? Do you take your little yes. book with you? Well, you can't have a book. Uh, certainly, and there are even apps that can identify. But really, my advice would be go with an expert first. Now, there's going to be certain basics that you learn. Like here in the Southland, we have a lot of oak trees. Oak trees are kind of like mushroom magnets. There are so many mushrooms out there that kind of connect and have a relationship with oak trees that the rain that we've had and the warm weather you're likely to find mushrooms under an oak tree but understanding which ones are edible which ones are good to use in your food that's where you want to make sure that you have and there's many there's many different groups that you can find that will do this will take you on you know maybe a handful of people on these trails you know they do it for for different mushrooms all over the place there's a up north i know that they have these little mini walks and tours looking for different mushrooms and this is it's kind of a fun thing to do just to do and to learn about them but right now everything has come together with the rains that we've had with Probably the fires play a part in it as well, do, dealing with the soil and the heat. So when it's that, uh, uh, that crowded, I, I envision that going out on these tours and these, uh, it's like going to see the wild fly, uh, flowers, that uh, you go to a, a place that's known, uh, that's on a, it's on, on a tour, on a pathway. And what happens? People see mushrooms. I envision them going after them like Cabbage Patch dolls, the last one left on the toy aisle. Well, there are plenty. There are plenty for you. And again, some are going to be, I don't know, people could use them as crafts. People can use them as decoration in their home. Again, the poison ones are not a, a great tip. If you want to find out more about these things, there's also a group called iNaturalist that you can join. And you can find them at iNaturalist.org iNaturalist.org that helps you connect with nature and learn about the, the bugs and the different things you come across when you're foraging. But foraging has been pretty popular Interesting. for years. Finding plants, finding natural rosemary, finding mint. Yeah, I don't understand that stuff. You know, I, clearly, you know who I am. I would go on the, the website, uh, you know, the app where people have died, idead, uh, dot, uh yeah, but you still think that that steaks just grow off a steak tree? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, there is a uh, moving seriously for a, just a moment, if I can do that. There is a documentary, and I think it's on Netflix, on mushrooms and describing the growing and the different kinds and the mushroom farms, and it is fascinating uh, the depth of the world of mushrooms. I mean, everything has a world to it, of course, but mushrooms particularly. Uh, and I happen to like mushrooms. Have like, you ever been uh, mushroom tromping? No. I mean, I've got, as a kid, we had a lot of beautiful outdoor land because it wasn't developed. And we'd go up in the mountains hiking all the time. And sure, you'd see tons of beautiful and interesting mushrooms, but I never thought of them in the way of eating them. I was always told as a young kid, you don't eat mushrooms or things that you find in the, you know, out in the... Yeah. 
One of the things is, is I mean, mushroom it. farming, I find the whole concept just fascinating. Done in caves in Europe yeah. and in, uh, you know, as long as it's dark and there's that rich, foamy, uh, loamy soil. And then uh, the the cycle itself to uh, plant and harvest mushrooms like eight minutes. But the, it's fascinating. And they, they bring a richness. I know some people don't like them, but... They're an interesting thing unto themselves. Uh, they bring an umami, this great savory flavor. They have like a meat texture to the tooth. They kind of have a meat bite to them or chew to them. They're really a, a lovely additive. Some people just aren't crazy about them, but they really can bring a lot. Yeah. And a mushroom can burn, but it can't be overcooked in the sense that it only gets so tender or to, you know, like a carrot, it could become mush. That won't happen to a mushroom. All right, Neil. Uh, it's always fun. Tomorrow afternoon, 2 to 5 p.m. is uh, the Fork Report, and you can reach him on uh, at Fork Reporter. Right, Neil, uh, you have a good one. I'll catch you tomorrow. All right, buddy. All right, Mushroom Heaven. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be here tomorrow at uh, 8 o'clock with Handle on the Law, following uh, Dean Sharp, of course, with the House Whisper. So Gary and Shannon up next. I'll catch you in the morning at 8 o'clock on Handle on the Law. Gary, what do you have going on this morning? Well, we got a developing story out of D.C. Not only has Mike Pence been subpoenaed to talk about January 6th, there's a new search of his home for potentially more classified documents. The worst and possibly greatest excuse for a DUI and a guide to Super Bowl for people who don't want to talk about sports. It's coming up. KFI and KOST HD2, Los Angeles, Orange County. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is the smell of a warm three day old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon.